The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, I'm so glad you could join me today. I'm Diane Ray. Happy summer, everybody. You know, we're right in the middle of the dog days, that's for sure. I mean, just getting to the end of August, it's like summer is never going to end. It's like, it's brutal. I just spent a few days in my home state of Florida. And, you know, when you're gone for a while and then you go back and just, ah, that swampy humidity, you know, just hits you right in the face. So I got to enjoy that for a couple of days. I was in Orlando and then went to see my family in Fort Lauderdale for the weekend. So yeah, just from just remembering, you know, the, the Florida summers of my youth and, you know, what I used to do then and what I still do this today, this day and age is either go to a movie and sit in the nice, cool air conditioning or sit home, crank up the air conditioning, and read a book. So I've been doing a lot of that this summer, and one of the books that I've been really enjoying is called Warrior One by Meryl Davids Landau. Really love this book, and if you're in the mood for some great summer reading or some beach reading, definitely check it out. In the book, we follow the main character of Lorna Crawford, and she seems to have it all. She's got a great husband, a new job, fun girlfriends, and a beautiful little girl. And and Lorna also has a new baby on the way. And when possible complications arise, it throws Lorna into a spiritual crisis. And the book is a a great read. It's going to appeal to women uh, of all ages, women into yoga, mindfulness, and spirituality. So I really enjoyed it. And I'm lucky enough to have the author as my guest today. So Meryl joins me to talk about the book and her writing process. And Meryl, thanks for taking some time and, and talking to me today about the book. Oh, my pleasure. And I'm also here in swampy South Florida, so I can relate <laughs> to everything that you were saying. <laughs> it's great. It's great, isn't it? I love it. I do. I have a lot of love from my home state, but it's so funny the difference, you know, when you come on to the West Coast and, uh, you know, get the the lack of the humidity. I forgot I forgot how powerful it is. Yeah. Well, but I, I love it. Time to be down here. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> but it's beautiful. I, I get back. I miss. I miss my home state a lot. It's just funny to be reminded of of that humidity, just slapping you in the face. So, um, mm-hmm. but I've been cooling off. You know, trying to stay cool here and doing some reading and just diving into your book. And um, this isn't your first book. This is the second book actually featuring this character. Isn't that right? This is my second novel featuring this character. Yes, I also have a book of essays, which is separate from these. But this is my second novel uh, featuring Lorna. Although each book stands on its own. So I like that people can just find whichever one they find and you don't have to read them in order. Right, whichever one calls to you. So now I'm interested to read the first one um, now that I've read this one. But before we dive into the book, you know, tell me a little bit about your writing process. I mean, your background is you've uh, been a writer for a long time. You write uh, magazine articles and essays. And what drew you to be a writer? Um, I think I've just always 
known that I wanted to be a writer. I, I've loved writing since I was young. I majored in English in college. I thought maybe I would be, you know, a more serious journalist. Um, when I went to college, I started by majoring in journalism and then found that they didn't really want you to write anything too flowery. You know, it was very basic. You know, each sentence should be very simple. And I thought, maybe this isn't for me. But then I discovered magazines, uh, which kind of lets you um, write a little more, uh, with a little more voice and flavor. So that's where I gravitated. And I've been writing about health and holistic health, uh, yoga, spirituality, mindfulness um, for many publications over many years. And then I was drawn to write a novel. And that's how the, my first novel, Downward Dog, Upward Fog, um, which also features Lorna. In that book, she's kind of just discovering spiritual tools and techniques. And then in Warrior One, she knows the techniques, but then the challenge for all of us who know all the spiritual techniques is, do we apply them? <laughs> and how do we remember to apply them and how they can help us when we do apply them? So I like to write That's things interesting. That, I like to write things that, um, whether it's whether it's for magazines or whether it's for my book, I like things to write things that readers can feel like I can. This is valuable for my own life. This is you know whether it's about health or whether it's about mindfulness or whether it's my novel, that people come away from it feeling like this is applicable to my life. Not just that it's entertaining, although of course I want my novels to be entertaining as well, but that that there's something in there that a person can take away and make, you know, practical in their own life. Well, your journey, I related to that, just what you're saying, because I was uh, starting out in school, I was uh, going to be a journalism major as well. And then I kind of experienced what you did in, um, you know, news writing and, and what that was like. And I was a big music lover and was drawn to radio. So I kind of went, um, went in that direction. Uh, rather than mm -hmm. like ending up uh, ending up in a newsroom, so uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, now, in your book, you call Warrior One a mindfulness-based novel, and I've never heard of that description um, as a genre. Yeah, I call it mindful women's fiction, which is as, as made up as any other <laughs> any other term. Right. There's a there's a category of women's fiction. Uh, which basically just means that the main character is a woman and that the plot is driven by the character. Um, so that would be the, the umbrella category of women's fiction. And then there's um, spiritual women's fiction. When I first heard that term, I thought, oh, that's what my books are. But it turns out those are either Christian women's fiction or Jewish women's fiction. They're very kind of more religious uh, categories. And my book didn't really fit into those categories because it's really about mindfulness and yoga and spirituality. Um, so I uh, made up the term <laughs> mindful women's fiction and hopefully we'll start a whole genre. Hopefully there'll be lots of other books uh, that come out in this category because I think there's definitely a demand for it. I mean, I hear from readers. I heard from readers after I wrote Downward Dog, Upward Fog, you know, that my book was so different. Please write this sequel. And it was interesting because um, for many years I thought I should really write this sequel, not really a sequel because it's a standalone book, but it, it features Lorna as well. But I couldn't for the life of me figure out what would this, the book be about? What would be the plot? Because as I mentioned in Downward Dog, Upward Fog, she discovers 
kind of eclectic spiritual teachings, um, and she incorporates them into her life. So then, in this in a, a new book, I kept on thinking like, what would be big enough or challenging enough in a person's life that even if you know all of these spiritual techniques and tools, you still might have difficulty applying them. And it was quite a number of years before um, I met a woman. I, as I mentioned, I had written as well a book of essays called Enlightened Parenting, which are parenting essays uh, from a spiritual perspective. And when I was giving a talk uh, around that book, a woman came up to me and she said, I'm pregnant, and the doctors are worried that there might be something wrong with my unborn baby. And, you know, of course, my heart broke for her, but, you know, I, I also thought to myself, like, that's big, that's challenging, <laughs> no matter what kind of, you know, tools you know. I mean, you know, anybody who's been pregnant knows you worry about your baby, even if everything's 100% healthy. So if, you know, somebody says maybe there, there's something wrong, it will be rather difficult to keep your inner peace. And so that became the theme of Warrior One, um, Lorna is pregnant, and there are questions about her unborn baby. And can she apply all the techniques that she has at her disposal to keep herself calm during all the months when, you know, any kind of medical situation arises? You know, you have test after test after test. You wait for results, then that necessitates another test, and then more waiting, and then another test. It's a long period of time that you have to really try to keep your inner peace. And so that's, you know, pretty much the plot is, is how can Lorna um, do those things? And so, of course, you know, the secondary plot is, is there something wrong with her baby and how does that play out? But in my, in my books, you know, the bigger question is how do you keep your inner peace during all the things that are playing out in your life? Well, I like a lot of the, the questions that it brought up this challenge and I'm not going to ruin it for people, <laughs> you know, the plot. <laughs> I don't want to totally blow the whole thing. I, I want people to read it, but I really love the character of Lorna. And was she you in a lot of ways? So definitely when I started Downward Dog, Upward Fog, I thought I wanted to write a book about someone who learned these tools. I mean, by the time I had written that book, I was, you know, I had been teaching yoga for a number of years and had been an on-again, off-again meditator for quite a while. But, um, so Lorna discovers those tools in the beginning of that book, whereas I already knew them, but still the, the difficulty of applying them when things get rough in your life was, was definitely modeled on me. Um, but the interesting thing about writing fiction is that as you keep on writing, the characters really take on a life of their own. And Lorna, at some point, became her own person and reacted in ways that maybe I wouldn't have. But you just sense that that's how she should behave and these are the things that she should say. So by the time Warrior One comes around, um, I would say Lorna's Lorna and a little bit less of me. Although I hope that every person who reads this book sees a little bit of themselves in her because, you know, that's really my objective is to be entertaining, for it to be a, a fun, you know, uh, compelling read, but also that you can relate to the story because you can relate to the character. Well, I definitely related to the character and her spiritual quest, and I certainly saw a lot of her, you know, her trials and tribulations and questions in 
a lot of the women that I've encountered over the years from my years at Hay House, where I would see people on that spiritual quest, you know, calling and asking about about different authors um, when I was at Hay House Radio, and then certainly here at Unity, you know, people that are on that that quest and that journey. And I love that she calls herself an equal opportunity spiritualer. I thought that was <laughs> that was great because I kind of think That's of myself. Me. Yes, <laughs> that you coined that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like I like that because I would I didn't think of it in that way. I'm like, oh, well, that's a good label to to describe that because I would describe myself in that category as well. And I was going to ask you if that was was part of your journey. You know, were you brought up with one spiritual tradition or no tradition? Yeah, I mean, I was. Um, I, I, my family is Jewish by by ethnicity, but I would say not too much by religion. And so, you know, I felt like um, in my teens and in my early 20s, I definitely felt like I was searching for something beyond uh, that, those teachings. And um, I started, um, actually, I was in, living in New York, and I was exercising on the exercise bicycle one day, and this woman just kind of floated into the room and past the exercise bicycles. And when I say floated, I mean, I really felt like she was like levitating off the floor. And I turned to the person next to me and I said, who is that? And they said, oh, she's the yoga teacher here. And I had never done yoga before. And this was, you know, more than 20 years ago. So, you know, yoga was not as popular and ubiquitous as it is now. I got right off the exercise bicycle. I followed her right into the room. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I just felt like whatever she was selling, I was buying. And um, she, that's how I started um, following yoga. And that was the beginning of my spiritual quest. She was a disciple of Swami Sachidananda, um, who is actually having a moment again now because he was the Woodstock guru. Fifty years ago, he was the guru who opened um, chanting, opened the Woodstock Festival. Um, so there have been some articles written about him lately. But she was a follower of him. And when I asked her more about yoga, I was kind of expecting that she was going to answer me with more about the physical aspects of yoga, the poses and things like that, because that's all I knew yoga was at the time. And she, she handed me some of his books, which were much more about the philosophy of yoga and controlling your mind and staying in the present moment. And that was the beginning of my um, spiritual quest. And, you know, since then I've, you know, read and followed and been to workshops and retreats with any number of spiritual teachers uh, from Eckhart Tolle to Abraham Hicks. I mean, I kind of love them all, and I incorporate many of them in my novels um, because I think a lot of um, a lot of people, you know, into this kind of eclectic contemporary spirituality will recognize a lot of those people and have read a lot of those books. And so, you know, those are kind of the books that Lorna reads um, and that populate um, the novel as well. Oh, absolutely. They were like old friends. Like when you're mentioning the names, old I'm like, friends, oh, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> and there's a little list in the back, you know, of all the books that kind of pop up that are woven uh, within the story. There is a list in the back. That was one of the things I heard from um, readers after Downward Dog, Upward Frog, where I didn't do that. And they said to me, you know, a lot of these books were books I had heard of and read and loved, but there were some books that were unfamiliar to me that I would have liked to be able to, you know, check out 
and I would have had to like go back and reread the whole novel to find them. So I thought, you know, that that's a good point. Like, let me just um, break them out at the end. Here are all the books in case you're interested in them, because they're all they're all books that I love. They're you know every one of the books mentioned are books that have inspired me in some way. And so you know why not? If you read my book and you're inspired, a lot of a lot of women I've heard from who say after they read my book they were inspired to take up meditation again or or try, go back to yoga or try something new, some spiritual teaching they hadn't done before that Lorna does, but also that they're picking up some of the books that they hadn't been familiar with. So I love that. I mean, again, I like for my books to be practical for people that they that they really impact to your own life and are not just, you know, an entertaining thing to do for uh, for a couple of hours. That's great that yoga was kind of the gateway drug uh, for you, where it, it was it was for, for me as well, where I remember, you know, I was in high school, you know, in the 80s, and like aerobics and everything was big, and then all the gyms, and that didn't really speak to me, and I was looking for something, you know, searching like everybody else, and I remember picking up uh, a book, the, the Sivananda um, Guide to Yoga, I think it was, it was uh -huh. in some bookstore in I Coconut Grove, well. <laughs> right, uh -huh. and I was fascinated with the the pictures and the poses so i i started trying to do it at home and at, at that time i mean in south florida now there's probably you could throw a rock and hit a yoga studio but at that time there really wasn't a lot of teachers right. so i was trying to right. do it myself you know when i finally got to a class i was like ah oh, you know this is it like the 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 high I was looking for was in Shavasana, you know, and, and so that's what kind of kept me going back and, and becoming more um, involved in yoga and just becoming more of a, a yoga practitioner. And I remember also in that same bookstore, when I bought that, um, that Sivananda companion to yoga, I also bought a little book um, by Paramahansa Yogananda called Laws of Success. And I kept, I carried that around with me for so long. And then I, I don't know where it went now. <laughs> finally, it finally disappeared and I ended up just rebuying it again because the um the self-realization fellowship is actually up here in Southern California in Encinitas and I went in their their bookstore and finally replaced the one that I had lost but it's interesting how I think people come into yoga and then it just it kind of opens you up to to so many other things so that's why I yeah, kind of call it the, the gateway drug since there are since there are so many yoga classes now and so many teachers and so many studios, I do think you have to be a little discerning because not all of them are. I mean, I when I started taking up yoga, it was people, you know, either swamis or people who were learning from swamis. That was who was teaching yoga back in the day. And so those people were really steeped in the philosophy of yoga. That it's not just about, you know, can I lift my leg over my head? But can I really bring awareness into my body as I'm moving? And can I make space within my body as I stretch? And how does that make me feel? And I think that there are a lot of teachers who do teach that way, but not all of them. Some of them are, I think, a little bit too, you know, yoga is just like stretching or yoga is like gym class. And you miss out on so much when you only think of yoga as a physical practice because it is so That's much true. More. That's so true. I mean, now there's all these different blends of, you know, there's, there's a class here in San Diego, uh, you know, you do what, what do they call that? Oh, spin. So you do spin, then you do yoga, then you do something else in yoga, you know, but you're right. Yeah, it's kind of morphed and changed into uh, a lot of different, a lot of different avenues. 
Uh, but yoga, yeah, that kind of opened opened things up for me. And I like the character right. of of Lorna, you know, as she's working through her own spiritual practice. In this book, she comes up with something called sujaling. Did I, did I say that right? <laughs> sujaling? <laughs> you can say it however you like. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, it's, it's meditation. It's just in Downward Dog, Upward Fog, she was kind of, skeptical of the whole situation and didn't hadn't really you know heard of meditation hadn't really done it before um, when she was first introduced to these spiritual teachings and so she didn't like the word meditation and and that definitely comes from me um, I think the word meditation just sounds so harsh when it's such a soft and powerful practice that um, she she gave it a, a name she just calls it sujaling um, just um, to better reflect the the sweet state that it can put you in. Um, so I did carry that through into Warrior One as well. And, you know, we're talking about yoga, the physical postures. Obviously, those play a big role in my novels, which is why um, the titles of the book are plays on yoga poses, Downward Dog, Upward Fog, obviously being from Downward Dog, and Warrior One, which I spelled W-O-N, like win um, is a play on the yoga pose warrior one because warrior is because yoga is such a foundation for so many people's spiritual practices including mine and it sounds like including yours oh absolutely so certainly for me as well um, it, it's something that as i've made moves you know over the past gosh like 20 years or so you know you move around in radio and the first thing I did when I moved here to San Diego was find a yoga class. And the same thing when I, I spent a year in Texas, like it was always a touchstone that wherever I could be, I could get that feeling if I could find myself a great class. So that would right. be one of from the, the class, things that I would look for. And also from the community, from being around other people who are also trying to do something spiritual and that connects them to their inner core. Because I do think um, uh, you know, Lorna in, in Warrior One has a, a number of girlfriends who kind of help help her on her spiritual path. And I do think that that's really important, that we all try to find a community of people who are also trying to stay mindful and connect with their center and um, not always be in their minds to be present, to quote your title of your show, <laughs> which I think is perf- a perfect title because that's really the goal of all of it. Um, but if you're around other people who also have that objective, I think that's really helpful if you can put those oh, people into your life somehow. And, and in a yoga class, again, a, a yoga class where, where that's the focus, um, I think that that's you know, a great group of people to glom onto. Well, that was going to be one of my other, other questions for you about some of the characters in the book and the close group of girlfriends that Lorna has that offer support. And I'm sure you would agree on the importance of of that, you know, of forming close friendships, and especially for women. I mean, do you think that, I guess women do tend to form these groups more than men, but I think for women, it's it's so important. I mean, I don't know where I would be without my close girlfriends, but my husband doesn't seem to have a tribe of guys (laughs) that he hangs out with, you know. yeah. I mean, I think that that's part of just because men are raised to be a little more self-sufficient and not to open up as much, not to share as much. But, you know, when you find guys who are more sensitive, you know, this is the more sensitive types, 
some of them tend to gravitate even towards women friends because those are the ones that they can open up to. And I do think that it's important. I mean, Lorna has a fantastic relationship with um, her closest girlfriend, Janelle. I mean, I wish I had a friend like Janelle <laughs> who reminds her, um, you know, of but that she wants to stay present and not to get all worked up about things that she can't control um, and who she has fun with, um, all of those things. But then she has this larger group as well. They get together and do things. They do, uh, you know, a crystal bowl relaxation together. They do, uh, you know, uh, Ayurveda together. They have different speakers and different events. Um, I think that that's, you know, very bonding for them as a community and also, you know, introduces them to all kinds of fun and interesting ways um, to connect with their spiritual side. So, you know, I kind of love that about Lorna. And I do have a group of girlfriends, but, you know, I, I could always use more and <laughs> wish some of them were as, were as well, that I was as close to some of them as Lorna is with her, with her girlfriends. And of course she has a husband as well who she's close to and a two-year-old daughter. So, you know, she's got a pretty full life there between work and family and friends. But I think that that reflects the complexity that many of us have. You know, we have all of these different pieces in our lives. And if we can get them all um, in a way that helps us to remember that we're trying to be present and mindful and spiritual and not to get crazy about all the stuff that's going on in the world and in our lives on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, that's a great thing. So your friends can help you do that. Your partner can help you do that. Even your child can help you do that. Absolutely. It's important to have that supportive tribe of people. Um, I mean, I'm lucky I have a great a group of women here and then also like my my old you know ride or die girls still in uh in florida (laughs) in fort lauderdale and i i value them so much too so but yeah you're right like trying to juggle you know because friendships do take cultivation and and work you know you have to kind of put put time and, and energy into that and you know also understand where where people are and uh yeah so i i really i like how you kind of presented that in the book and um, you know introduced us to all of her friends and her tribe. It sounds like she has a great support. We're going to take a short break uh, in just a few seconds and chat some more with Meryl Davids Landau about her book, Warrior One. And if you'd like to join the conversation, maybe you have a question about writing or some ideas, phone lines are open. This is live here, 816-251-3555. We'll be right back. I'm Diane Ray, and this is UnityOnlineRadio.org. Thanks for listening. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me after the break. I'm Diane Ray. This is Be Present, and I'm glad you could uh, check in and be present with me. I'm chatting with Meryl Davids Landau about her new book, Warrior One. And Meryl introduces us to the character of Lorna Crawford. Well, actually, it's not really an introduction. This is kind of Lorna's uh, second appearance in a book. And she goes on a spiritual journey 
in the face of a possible big crisis in her life. So some interesting things go on. I really love the book. It's a, a fun read, great summer read. And if you're into yoga, mindfulness, and spirituality, you will definitely enjoy this one. So before the break, we were chatting about, um, you know, different practices. And um, I was asking about a, a spiritual practice that Lorna kind of made up uh, called Sujiling, her meditation practice. And, you know, some spiritual teachers might say that you can't pick and choose, you know, in a religious tradition. I've, I've heard people say that, well, there's rules to follow, you know, and if you're going to be Christian, you have to believe this. And if you're a Buddhist, then they believe this. So I was going to ask you, what do you think about that, Meryl? Do you think we can pick and choose? I mean, I know that I pick and choose. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I, I, I have heard that before, you know, as I was saying, when I first got involved in kind of a spiritual teaching. It was more of a Hindu tradition through um, swamis and through an ashram. My husband and I used to, we actually met um, going to hear a swami speak, and we used to go to um, an ashram in New York City a lot and spend a lot of time there. And, you know, definitely their belief is you pick one guru, you pick one path, and you stay with it. And I'm sure there's something to be said for that. Um, you know, if you go deep into one tradition and with one teacher, you probably can get a lot out of it. But for me, I always felt like there was just such great ideas and great teachings from so many different people in so many different um, religious traditions, whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism or even Judaism. I've had some some more, you know, um, spiritual um, teachings, metaphysical kinds of teachers, but also just, you know, today there are just so many contemporary writers writing great spiritual books that for me, I just, you know, take whatever works for me from each of them. And, um, you know, that's been the practice that, that has worked for me, but I know that there are people who believe you should pick one and go deep um, within that tradition. And that, that's probably great too. So <laughs> whatever, whatever works for a person, I would think is, is the way to go. Right. No, I agree. Whatever works. And I'm I'm interested in all of them, um, like yourself. And I've, I've mentioned this before on the show. Uh, last year, I went to an event called the Parliament of the World Religions. And it was over 250 different faith traditions. And it just made such a huge impact on me because I spent the week there, it was in Toronto, and I spoke to, um, you know, Wiccans, Buddhists, pagans, Zoroastrians, uh, Jewish people, Roman Catholic women, priests, I mean, just everybody. And it was just such a beautiful experience. Like I walked away from that, just, you know, just pick one, it's whatever. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's well, all, I mean, it's all beautiful. Core, right. At their core, I think they're all very similar. It's the way yes, that they, they the are rituals and the way that they, that they play out. That's different within each one. Right. Now, in the book, um, we, we talked about this a little bit in the last segment, you know, that it's kind of peppered with uh, books that have meant something to you from different spiritual teachers and, and things that you've studied throughout the years. Uh, Esther Hicks, Tony Robbins, uh, Neil Donald Walsh. So I never asked you, though, what was the first book you read that really made an impact? That Well, aside from the books from Swami Satchidananda, which were kind of on the philosophy of yoga, to know yourself, I think, was 
was the first book I read from him, which is, you know, really about understanding your mind and the way your mind tends to jump into the future and worrying about things or rehashing things from the past that were that were done that you can't do anything about whether you know, even if you're unhappy with that. Um, and that book was really the first one that opened my eyes to well, like these teachings are a way of controlling your thoughts. Not, not even controlling, because I think you can't really necessarily control them, but if you watch them, you see where they go, and you can direct them um, in a better direction. So that was definitely the first book. And then the Conversation, conversation with God's books from Neil Donald Walsh um, were, for me, so eye-opening. And that's what really put me even more firmly on a spiritual path. And then over the years, I've just loved, you know, I've Abraham Hicks, I've been on their cruises, and <laughs> I've been on uh, workshops with some of these other teachers. So just, uh, I, th- I feel like I can learn from so many of them. So many great teachers out there. Um, yeah, I would have to say, well, first, that little book with the laws of success really made me think that, like you're saying, control your thoughts, not so much control, but be aware, and that mm-hmm. they have power. And that kind of opened my mind up a little bit. And then I did a, a deep dive into Ram Das, and I'm still a big fan of, of him and, and his teachings. And I read, kind of read mm-hmm. his books backward, where I think most people read Be Here Now first. And I read Still Here, Embracing Aging, Changing, and Dying, because my father was dealing with Alzheimer's at the time. And just the way he framed that whole experience. I thought it was so amazing, just such a great book. And then I read everything else that he wrote. And then uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer was a big influence on me as well. And of course, Louise Hay and You Can Heal Your Life. And I mean, that book, it was published, I think, in 84. You know, and if you read it again today, it still holds up. You know, it's like, yep. you know, it doesn't, yep. it doesn't get old, you know, it just still kind of stands, stands on its own. So yeah, like once you start kind of going down, down a path and, and exposing yourself to just these different teachers and different ideas, I think it can just enhance, you know, if you, if you were brought up with a spiritual tradition and, and you're happy with it and comfortable, it just kind of, I think it makes it all, all brighter and, and kind of expands what you're already, right. or what you're already Which familiar with, did. you know? Right, which I which I, I kind of allude to in Warrior One because Lorna is Catholic, and um, in Downward Dog, Upward Fog, she doesn't really feel any connection to her Catholic upbringing. Um, her mother is more religious, but she kind of moves away from that. And so, as I was writing Warrior One, I thought, you know, I really would like to communicate the message, which I believe strongly that whatever path you're on can be a really deeply spiritual path for you. And so she does go on a Catholic retreat in Warrior One, which, um, you know, would be a surprise to the person who read Downward Dog, Upward Fog, (laughs) because she doesn't seem like she would be going back to Catholicism at all. And while she doesn't embrace it wholeheartedly, she does learn that you can find meaningful things in any tradition. I love that part of the book. Your own tradition. I actually really like that part. And I like that her, her husband, it was his idea. And she, she was just so shocked. But it did seem that she kind of came to a new understanding of, of that tradition. So I thought, I thought that was an interesting piece to, to put in there, you know, the experience of that, that, that she got out of the book. Now, also, you know, we're kind of talking about the main, um, 
the main challenge that Lorna faces in the book that, of course, I'm not going to say, but it made me think about, <laughs> you know, my my own spiritual beliefs. The questions arise about her unborn yes. baby and whether there are actual problems or not. Um, we don't have to give Which away. Be... I actually didn't even, I didn't even know until I was about two-thirds of the way through the book whether the baby was going to actually have the problems that that are brought up. Because on the one hand, you worry and worry and worry, and then it turns out to be nothing. Then you've wasted all your worry. And on the other hand, <laughs> if it does turn out to be something, then like your father's, father's Alzheimer's, you have to learn to adapt to it. You have to adjust as it is. You can't change what is. You can only change how you, how you relate to what is. Exactly, how you react to it. And reading her experience, you know, going through that in the book, you know, it made me think of my own um, situations and, and beliefs surrounding those kind of challenges that have arisen in my own life. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, some days I'll, I'll believe in, in a God and a source that's supporting me all the way. And then, you know, other days I'm convinced that it just does not exist at all. <laughs> no. So I don't know. I mean, I'm. You won't be alone. Right, I was gonna say I'm not alone, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not Good alone in that. Bad days. Yeah. <laughs> right, and even when Lorna believes these things, and even when she knows all of these practices, she doesn't always put them into play. I mean, sometimes she just goes crazy, as we all do. Now, I remember I, I love to tell this story. I, I was at a workshop once, and Wayne Dyer was speaking, and he was talking about how one day. He was just like, he just lost it at home. He was screaming at everybody. And his daughter turns to him and says, wouldn't your fans love to see you now? Because <laughs> we, all, we all have those moments. It doesn't matter how much we practice and how, how much we meditate and how much we bring mindfulness throughout our day. There are going to be moments when you, when you don't practice it and you go crazy or you question it and challenge it and don't believe it. That, that's part of being human, I think. And, you know, that's, that's fine, too. It's all good. Oh, I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up about uh, Dr. Dyer, because I remember him telling that story. And I, I think that's so funny, because <laughs> I could just see, um, you know, his daughter standing there. Oh, look at, you know, Mr. Enlightened, you know, <laughs> being right, human. But it's funny, because when he, when he told that story, I remember thinking, you know, I think your fans would like to see you like this or would like to know that you lose it also, because everybody does. And so to know that somebody who's practicing well and doing, you know, connecting to their, to their inner peace most of the time still doesn't some of the time, I think that's helpful for all of us. Hey, that person oh, for does sure. it too. Not that, not that we want everybody to stay in the muck with us, you know. <laughs> I've lost my peace, and hey, so do they. And no, but they got out of it. They climbed out so I can climb out. Right. There, there is hope. But I think remembering that people are human and sometimes will put these gurus up on a pedestal. And, and I, I do think that's where you can, you can get in trouble for sure. Um, I wanted to ask you too, what you thought about the possibility of miracles, you know, being faced with a serious medical condition, you know, you, you, you pray for a miracle. And do you think it's wrong to give people false hope or, there's there's a part in the book where 
you talk about healings like the one described in Anita Morjani's book, Dying to Be Me. Another great mention. <laughs> I'm glad you threw that in because I would love for people to read Anita's story, which is amazing. But I mean, of course, that's the exception to the rule, right? I mean, she was on death's door and then has this unbelievable experience happen with this healing. So how would you balance that? Um, well, I think in the no- in my novel, I try to balance it, which is to say, Lorna doesn't say a miracle is coming, and that's all I'm going to focus on, because anything can happen, and we have to accept whatever is facing us. We have to accept that that is what it is. But on the flip side of that, you know, you do have stories like Anita Morjani and others. There are there's actually several of them I I cite in my book. Um, Terry McBride was another one who had a severe um, spinal infection and was told he was going to be disabled for his whole life in, in a wheelchair. And he decided, I'm, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to fill my mind with positive things and know that I can have a different outcome. And he did. And um, he, he wrote a book as well and that, I, that Lorna reads. Um, and he's perfectly fine now. So there are stories like that. And when there are stories like that, I think it's helpful to hold on to the stories like that. I think it's helpful to say things can improve. They can get better. They can be fine. But if they're not, I still have to learn how to accept it. I still have to be okay with what's happening right now. Right. Like I always have a problem with doctors that tell people, well, you have three months to live. You know, right? And there could, right. and it could be a dire situation. And maybe there is three months. Maybe there's two weeks. Maybe there's three years. I just don't think that anybody can say exactly. You know, right? And you hear so many stories of people who were given three weeks to live or three months to live, and twenty years later they're still alive. So, for sure, you know, nobody nobody can know. The doctor can tell you this is a serious situation, and there isn't a good treatment, but you know, you might, you might have a miracle. I mean, Terry Walls, who has uh, MS, who's a physician who wrote, who wrote a book about her experience, she changed her diet and um, started taking all these brain health supplements. And she was also in a wheelchair, severely physically disabled. I don't mention her in my novel, Warrior One, but um, I've interviewed her for magazine articles. And she's amazing. I mean, she's up and out and giving talks and traveling the world. So you never know. Right. So as long as you never know, why not think maybe? I don't think I would want to know. I mean, even if someone <laughs> were able to tell me the exact day, I don't think I would want I would want that information. I think we're I think we're better off not really knowing that exactly. But that that's just my opinion. So I wanted to really? ask you too about relationships, um, because this this book features I mean, great relationships, women's friendships, challenges with with family, uh, with mothers, that comes up too. But something that I I thought was interesting that I've heard people not really complain or just mention that can be a challenge, you know, so in your in your romantic relationship, in your 
it seems like Lorna has like, like this perfect, you know, spiritually aware man, you know, and he's open to doing these kind of things. And I mean, in, in my reality that I've seen that a lot of times that's, that's not really the case. I mean, my own husband and I have completely different beliefs and sometimes he, he laughs at me or, you know, questions some of the things that, that I'll believe and we'll have kind of a spirited back and forth. Uh, but it seems okay. Like he doesn't try to change me. I don't, I don't try to change him or anything like that. But I've also heard from women that when they start on a spiritual path or they open themselves up to some new ideas, that their relationships can suffer. You know, this can really be a challenge. Um, in, in the book, in Laura's case, it seems like she she got lucky with that. But what's been your experience in that? Well, my personal experience is that I met my husband going to hear a Swami speak. And so, you know, <laughs> on the same thing. Similar interest, yeah, that was good. Right, and, and Lorna met um, her husband at the end, uh, during a Downward Dog, Upward Frog, after she had already started on a spiritual path. So she was also inclined to be looking for someone like that. But I do have quite a number of girlfriends who got involved in spiritual teachings after they were married or after they had you know, had been with somebody and they started to change and their husbands did not. And I do think women are more open to this than men. I mean, if you go to any spiritual retreat or spiritual workshop, you know, my husband always jokes. He's like, he counts the men, you know, there are maybe a half dozen or a dozen in a room of hundreds of women. Just because women, you know, and I think it's social socialization. I don't think there's anything innate in women, but I think that we're more open to looking at these things. Um, so Lorna has this great relationship with her husband who is involved in the same spiritual teachings as her, but that's because they met after she was already into these spiritual teachings. Uh, but it's interesting because people said to me, well, you know, her husband is so perfect and he's so, he keeps his peace even when she doesn't. But if you read the novel carefully, he doesn't always keep his peace. But Lorna is the narrator of the book and she's the one who thinks that he's always keeping his peace because i think that that's common right we think oh i'm the only one who can't master this i'm the only one who can't you know meditate and who who can't keep my mind still during meditation no other people have the same challenges but we tend not to see that and so i think that's so true got a little bit of a glassy eyes when she's thinking that her husband you know has this all down and, and she doesn't well, I think it's a lifelong journey, right? I don't think I don't think we ever know. I kind of imagine that it's like I hate to quote Caddyshack, but you know, there's the scene where Bill Murray says, "You know, I met the Dalai Lama, and he said on my deathbed I'll achieve total consciousness." So I have that going for me. You know, I, I always laugh when I think of that because that's probably when it's going to happen. You know, when when you're making that transition, then you'll say, "Oh, now I get it." You know, right. it all it all right. makes sense, right? Right. So it right. it is. It's it's interesting, and and with meditation too, like. I remember trying and picking up meditation books and I would try and like, why am I thinking? And then I remember actually going to a, a meditation uh, workshop uh, with a teacher named David G. And he's like, look, if you stop thinking you are dead, you will never be able to stop your thoughts. So right. I'm like, oh, well, right. that makes sense. You know, right. I'm not doing it wrong. So yeah, it's right. funny it's the things that, that we tell ourselves. You might, you know, you're watching your thoughts and you might lose your focus and all of a sudden you notice that you're thinking about something, you know, that you're planning a party for two weeks from now. When you notice that, that's great. Then you just are bringing your attention back at that point. 
But I also right. like, you know, for some people, sitting meditation is not, you know, maybe their mind is too agitated for sitting meditation. So I always say, you know, then find something else that works for you. Do a do a walking meditation right. or yeah. meditate as soon as you sit down to eat. Focus on how the food smells and tastes and feels. And that, those are all meditations. A lot of people garden. And if you really get absorbed into the gardening, you're meditating. I love walking meditations. I do that all the time. And I do shower meditations, you know, from in the shower. I'm like, oh, wash away the day. Or even dishwashing <laughs> meditation. I think any kind of, you know, uh, mundane task that you can kind of turn your mind off from the task at hand can become a meditation. But I didn't always think that, you know. Like you, you go into it thinking it should be a certain way. And I think you're right. For, for everybody, whatever practice works, how you adopt how you adopt that practice into your life, it's probably different. Uh, for everybody. But I think people should try to carve out some silence, you know, how, however you do it, whether you're walking, if you don't want to sit, there's, there's other ways to, to get to that place. So you were right. going to share some good. tips with us. Oh, go ahead. Right. I was going to say, well, one of the tips that I, I, you know, I write a lot about mindfulness. And um, I think that one thing that Lorna does that I have found very valuable is you to do a a dedicated practice to do, you know, sitting for a few minutes in the morning or taking a walking meditation. But then throughout the day, really try to scatter some mindfulness practices. So, you know, like as soon as you sit down in your chair at work, before you just jump into the work that you have to do, to just notice how do your feet feel on the floor? How does your, how do your legs feel on the chair? How does your hand feel if it's holding the phone or if it's sitting on the, the keyboard? You know, what does the room smell like? What are you seeing? I think that so, so much of the time we're just in our head that if we can bring our awareness to our physical body for even just a minute or two um, throughout the day, you're talking about hand-washing meditation. As soon as you're turn, uh, turning on the water to wash your hands or to wash the dishes, Feeling the water. We don't even notice the water 90% of the time. We just have washed and we're, we're done and we, we haven't paid any attention to it. So it's really about being present is really just about paying attention to all the things that you're doing throughout the day. And I think the more that we do that, when you're walking, you feel your feet on the floor. You're not just getting from one place to another. You're trying to feel your feet on the floor. And these are all the techniques that Lorna tries to adapt in Warrior One and that's because these are a lot of the things that, that I have found that really work for me. They do. They, they really work. You just have to experiment. And that was partly why, I, I mean, believe me, when I was trying to come up with a name for this show, I, I wrote down sheets. You know, I was trying to be clever, or, you know, figuring out all this stuff. <laughs> and I kind of settled on, on that, that phrase, just be present, because I'm always trying to reel myself back into the present. I mean, I have a horrible habit. I'm, I'm sure, I, again, I'm not the only one. You know, my husband calls it, where are we going to park syndrome? Because whenever we go somewhere, I always say, well, where are we going to park? You know, because <laughs> parking is such a hassle in San Diego that it's, it's an anxiety for me. Where are we going to park? So I'm trying to get out of that, you know, where am I going to park syndrome? I'm like, okay, I'm here now. This is what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, I'm here right now with you. We're we're connecting on this show. So it's just kind of a, a re constant reminder. And yeah, I think you're right. Half the time we don't taste our food. We, we don't feel the water. Um, we're, we're constantly thinking of where are we going to be next? What are we going to do next? My life will be great when, when I have that great job, 
when I had the new car, you know, all of those things instead of what am I doing right now? So yeah, it's, right. <laughs> it's a thing it we, a loop a we get stuck in, right? Yeah. Some of it's just a reminder. I found an app about a year ago that I put on my phone every hour it chimes and that chime reminds me, be present, whatever you're doing, be present. And I really, at this point, I should set it for every half hour because <laughs> I think I've got the hours thing down already. Um, but it's really helpful to just remind yourself to use certain things to remind yourself, whether it's I'm turning on the water and every time I turn on the water, I'm really going to focus on how the water feels on my hands. Every time I sit at my desk, I'm going to focus on how it feels. Every time I eat, I'm going to focus on how the food is and what the environment is. Just to really re- put some triggers into your day where you say, when I do these things, it's going to remind me to be present. Just for 30 seconds even. If you do it for just the briefest period of time, it really just transforms the moment and the, the next moments. It does. It makes a huge difference. So believe it or not, like our time's been flying by. I'm sure we could just chat, chit chat for a while. And, you know, if there was a glass of wine involved, well, that, it could probably go even longer <laughs> than that. But you kind of left us on a, uh, you know, cliffhanger with Lorna and her family. Are there future plans for the characters? Will we know how things turn out? Uh, there is another book uh, percolating. Uh, it will probably be from the perspective of her friend Janelle, but Lorna will definitely be in it. Um, and it's funny because, again, after Downward Dog, Upward Fog, I thought, like, what would be the next plot? But now that I see, okay, every time big things come into your life, there's an opportunity for another plot, <laughs> no matter how well you think you've, you've grasped these spiritual tools. So, yes, there will be other books, and there could be many books. <laughs> we'll just have to see. The plot thickens, as they say. <laughs> it's been so fun to talk with you. You're so awesome, and I can't wait to see what else that you've got cooking, what else you're going to be doing. So people can find you online, MerylDavidsLandau.com, and that's the best place. Is that right, to find you? That's right. Fabulous. Well, thanks so much for joining me and and spending some time to be present here and chat about the book. Warrior One is available now, and you can also check out Downward Dog, Upward Fog, and see what Meryl's doing, Meryl Davids Landau. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.